We are in the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. We have seen how uh, this book is preparing God's people uh, for uh, the coming of God's kingdom and uh, the, the ruling and reigning of His chosen King. Uh, and in the, in the New Testament, when Jesus, the, the ultimate king, comes, there's this one conversation that he has with uh, a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. At first, this conversation might not sound like it has a whole lot to do with the coming kingdom of God and preparation for that kingdom, but I think on the second look, we'll see it has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus and her have an interaction both about uh, her sin and God establishing His uh, rule and His reign and bringing salvation. She avoids some of Jesus' questions with some theological discussion about worship. Jesus answers her in this way. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The kingdom that God is establishing will have citizens. And what we see through Jesus talking with the woman at the well is that the primary role that those citizens will have will be worshipers. Worshippers who worship our God truly. They're true worshipers. Worshiping Him by spirit, meaning they have been renewed and transformed into not rebels, but worshipers through the work of our God. But also that they will worship Him in truth, according to God's revealed will in the Scriptures. What that means then for those of us who are anticipating and looking forward to the coming of the kingdom, is that if we are to prepare and anticipate and be ready, and even now living as citizens of that kingdom, then we must understand what it looks like and what it means to worship truly. To be true worshipers that worship our God in spirit and in truth. And as we see, and we'll see this morning, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that this chapter will help us understand what it means to be true worshipers of our God. So if you would, please look with me in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. If you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 258. We're going to look at the whole chapter together. So, verses 1 through 23. So, please follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. 
And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of Yahweh of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before Yahweh with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because Yahweh had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of Yahweh that day. And he said, how can the ark of Yahweh come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of Yahweh into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of Yahweh remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And Yahweh blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, Yahweh has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of Yahweh had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before Yahweh with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of Yahweh with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of Yahweh came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before Yahweh, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of Yahweh and set it in its place beside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before Yahweh. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts and distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today! uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamefully or shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before Yahweh who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of Yahweh. And I will celebrate before Yahweh. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But... By the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you continue to speak to your people. 
We pray and ask that You would do that this morning. That the living and active Word of God would cut to the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And that You would renew and heal us to think and long rightly for Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Got a request on my way up here for words. Words for the kids to count. Uh, So I'm going to give you four. Going off script this morning. Not three, you have four. So you might need to make another little square on your your sermon notes there. Uh, So the first word is terms. Second word is sin. Third word is provision. The fourth word is glory. Terms, sin, provision, and glory. So as we look at this chapter, we want to understand what it means to be true worshipers of God. Notice the first thing that we see in this passage is that if we are to be true worshipers of God, to prepare for the coming of His kingdom, then we must worship Him on His terms. Worship Him on His terms. Notice first, what we encounter at the beginning of this passage is a lot of great intentions. The people and David are, are, are celebrating and rejoicing before God. They have every instrument known to the people of Israel. They've cleared out the, the, the music closet at the local Israelite school. They've brought them all out and everybody is singing and dancing and rejoicing before the Lord. Why? Because it's the ark. They're bringing it in to the, the presence and into the, the capital city of the people of God. The symbol of God's presence. They delight. Because remember, for, for quite a while, uh, inquiring of the Lord being conscious and valuing his presence among the people has been neglected by Saul and the people up to this point. This is a great cause for celebration. And they are delighting in this. Also, we see Uzzah doing something that that would make sense to us. Here's the ark of God on a cart. The ox stumbles. Somebody should have fixed the road a lot better, I guess. He's concerned about this great symbol of God's presence among his people falling off of the cart. And what does he do? He reaches out to stop it and touches it. Great intentions, you would think. Is is God pleased with the great intentions of David and the people of Israel and their celebrating and coming into his, his presence in this way? Is he pleased with the intentions of Uzzah to guard and protect God's honor from the the ark being dirtied? How does God feel about what is going on here? Look in verse 7. The anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah And God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Here, God is not pleased with the worship of his people in this moment because they're coming to him on their own terms. 
not his. And God strikes Uzzah down. Uh, that, that same language has come up before. Uh, notice the, the, what they call this, this spot. In verse 8, it tells us this place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Uh, just before, remember we, we saw last week how God fought on behalf of Israel and He struck down the Philistines. And they named that place as well uh, of, uh, calling, of talking about God's breaking out against the, the Philistines. Baal Perazim. Here, that Perez language of breaking out is it's, it's showing us again that God is angry over what is going on. Do you see David's reaction to God's anger, to God's breaking out at this worship celebration of his people? Notice what David does in verse 8. And David was angry. Why? Because Yahweh had broken out against Uzzah. David's angry at what has just happened. It doesn't quite make sense. Why would God do this? Why would he not be pleased with what we are doing? Look at our intentions. Don't you see our heart? We are happy that you are coming into our presence. Does David, do we have any right to be angry at God for this display of anger that would strike a man dead in the midst of this worship celebration and bring it all to a screeching halt. Well, we need to think back. What is it that the ark symbolizes? Do you notice what how it's referred to back up in verse 2? David arose and went with all the people who were with him to, from uh, Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is, called, which is called by the name of Yahweh of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. It talks about it being called by the name of Yahweh of hosts. It's not just talking about the, the, the sound or the syllables or the, the letters. Remember, name also encompasses the character of the one. Here, the ark is a a special symbol and sign of God's unique dwelling presence among his people. Who is this God that would dwell among humanity and give them this symbol, this sign? It wasn't an idol. They never worshipped the ark. It was a, a symbol of God's special presence among his people. And who is he? He is the one who sits enthroned above the cherubim. Now, to think about the the ark, the way it was constructed, it would have been smaller than this uh, this table here, and it had uh, two cherubim with their their wings stretched out above uh, on top of the ark. Other places, the ark is called the mercy seat, or it's called the footstool of God. And thinking that where the ark was, God was ruling and reigning. But when we think about that, is, does it just mean that he rules and reigns over those two gold angels? I mean, a box that size could be the footstool for a man. 
How great is this one who is enthroned above the cherubim? Yahweh, the God of Israel. Well, later in the scriptures, is it, it talks about the glory and majesty of our God. It causes us to begin to think about, can God dwell in a temple? Can his glory be contained in a man-made structure? Because he's the great and mighty one. In fact, the earth is the footstool of God. Now we begin to see that that the ark is, is a symbol for God is great and mighty and powerful. Our entire planet is his footstool. He's great and majestic. He is the ruler over all things seen and unseen. He is the ruler over the entire earth, all the earthly creatures and all the heavenly creatures. He is the glorious one. He is the mighty one. He is the holy one and is set apart. And he is the one who dictates and explains how it is that we will approach him, how we will worship him. But David and the people have chosen to disregard that. You see how they decided to move the ark? In verse 3, it says, They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. What are they figuring out? That this would be a good idea of how we transport the footstool of the God of Israel who rules and reigns over all things. Did they get it from the Scriptures? Did they get it from God's revelation of himself and saying, these are my terms, this is how you will worship and enter into my presence? No. Guess where they got it from? From the Philistines. Remember when God allowed the ark to be captured and went to the, the Philistines earlier in 1 Samuel? And he brought judgment on the Philistines and they decided how they were going to send it back? And guess how they decided to transport the ark of God and send it back to Israel? On a new cart. Here, David and the people of God have said, you know what? I like the way the world operates. I think they have good ideas and plans. Why don't we incorporate and use that and let that inform and shape the terms by which we will approach and worship our God? But God is not pleased. He gave direct instruction for how his ark was to be carried. You can look and see this back over in Numbers chapter 4. Not just anyone could carry the ark. Only a certain group of those who descended from Levi were able to transport the ark. The Kohathites. They were to do it in a particular way. They weren't to look upon it. Aaron and the priests were to go in and cover all that stuff up. They weren't to touch it. There were rings on the side of the ark. They were to bring in poles and insert poles and lift and carry by hand on their shoulders the ark of God and transport it around. Not to look at it, not to touch it. And God says, if you look upon it or if you touch it, you will die. And he's in, it got a specific when he speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to make sure the Kohathites know this because I want their existence to continue before me and among my people. I do not want them to be wiped out. 
So make sure they know how I have said you will approach me and how you will worship me. And David and the people have chosen to disregard this. Uzzah wasn't struck down out of nowhere. This was God's revealed covenant curse for choosing to approach and worship him on their own terms. And they rejected it. This week, uh, this weekend, Lindsay and the kids and I are going to D.C. And we, have, uh, through one of Lindsay's friends, are able to get a tour of the White House. And they have all sorts of terms and stuff you got to agree to before you come. We can only come when they tell us we can come. Like our appointment's at 8 o'clock. I don't know why. I mean... Like D.C. operates around the president's schedule or something. I mean, we're there. We've got important things to do. There's other uh, museums we want to see. We've got to stand in line to go through a metal detector. We've got to submit our social security numbers and get a background check before we come. Maybe when we get up there, we'll just show up whenever we want to. Give those Secret Service agents a piece of our mind and tell us, look, you work for us. We pay taxes. We should be able to come in here when and where we want to go. You don't want us to go in that room? You don't want us... My kids are good bed bouncers. You don't want them bouncing on Abraham Lincoln's bed? I mean, what kind of... You call this a house. This isn't a house. How completely disrespectful would that be? Yet we do that many times in the way that we approach our God. Thinking that just because we have intentions or desires that we can bring those before Him... Whatever looks good or feels good or gives us an emotional uplift is appropriate to bring into the worship of God and among his people. Failing to understand that, no, we do not enter into his presence according to the way we want to enter into his presence. He is Lord. He is God. He is King. He is the one who is enthroned above the cherubim. We do not say and determine how we will come into His presence. We do not choose and decide who will preach God's Word. We see what God's Word says who will preach God's Word. We don't decide how we will organize and operate the worship of, uh, among God's people or how we will administer the sacraments. We serve the same thing every week. Why? Because Jesus told us this is what we will serve. How do we determine who participates in the sacraments or how we do it. It's not according to what we feel or what we think. It is according to what God's Word says. In fact, we may think, ah, you're taking it too far. Maybe God used to break out like this against people in the Old Testament, but the New Testament God? Do you really think He's any less holy? Or His terms are... are are to be discounted because we think that he's a God of grace? What happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they lied before our God? He struck them down. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tell us was happening to the church in Corinth when they were abusing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper among the church? They were sick, and some of them died. We must approach our holy and righteous God on His terms. 
He determines and he says how we will worship him. Why? Because he's a king. He's the creator. We are creatures. Who are we to think we say how he will be worshipped and how he will, we will approach him? If that's true, then we really need to reflect on who we are as we come before our God. Because true worshipers not only worship God on his terms, true worshipers worship our God on his terms, but aware of our sin. Do you notice this question David asked? His anger shifts and moves from anger to fear. Do you notice that in verse 9? And David was afraid of Yahweh that day, and he said, how can the ark of Yahweh come to me? That, that is the question that David and all of Israel should have been asking at the beginning. How can the presence of the living God come among a sinful people? How in the world is this possible? I am not worthy of this. We are not worthy of this. For if we do it wrongly, what awaits us is judgment and curse. Notice the response of that there in David's fear. He says, the ark's not coming in. And he sends it over to Obed-Edom's house. But notice later how David responds when it's time again to bring the ark in. Over in verse 11, or uh, sorry, 12. Yahweh blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. How did he bring it? On a cart this time? No. And when those who bore the ark, the Kohathites, they tracked those boys down and their poles and when they bore the ark of Yahweh, when they had gone six steps, they sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Sacrifice? Six steps? How far was it from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem? It's at least ten miles. Every six steps? Thousands? Of these animals? were killed? Why? Because how is it that a holy and righteous God can dwell among a sinful people unless there is shedding of blood? David and the people of Israel recognize the depth of their sin and the answer to the question is how will I enter into the presence of my God? It's only if our sin is dealt with. It continues to be reiterated. Not just all those steps, but then later, when the ark arrives in Jerusalem, look at what it tells us in verse 17. David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before Yahweh. Verse 18, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he's recognizing our sin must be atoned for. We necessitate 
the removal of our sin and our iniquity. If we are to worship God rightly, we must address and acknowledge our sin and it must be dealt with. Did we do this this morning? No. There's no blood in this entire building except from my finger. Why? Because the perfect one shed his blood for us. We no longer shed the blood of these bulls and goats. Why? Because the perfect Lamb of God died on behalf of His people and His blood is sufficient eternally for the sins of the people of God. We still enter into God's presence acknowledging and recognizing the depth of our sin, but also we recognize the depth and the sufficiency of Jesus on our behalf. How is it The symbol of God's presence necessitated the death of thousands of ox and fattened animals for that to be accomplished. What about when God in the flesh comes into the presence of his people? How in the world is that going to work? Only if our sin is dealt with, and it has been. So what does that move us to as worshipers who come into God's presence on his terms, who come acknowledging and understanding our sin? Well, it it necessarily moves us then to be thankful, to be thankful for his provision. You think David came up with this on his own? Oh, you know what? Seems like a good idea. We'll start sacrificing animals. No. Where did this come from? It came from God. This is God's provision to his people as a means for their sin to be dealt with. He has said, I will put your sin aside and accept the death of these bulls in your place. You deserve death. You all deserve to be struck down. But I am going to give something to deal with your sin. And therefore... It's in the midst of this fear, this right relating to God for who He is and His holiness. But also we see they're still rejoicing. They're rejoicing as they slaughter these animals. Why? Because what is coming into their presence? God Himself. The symbol of His special presence, the ark. God is saying, I will come into your presence. Because God's intention... It's to bless his people. Obed-Edom experienced blessing. Do you remember reading that? When David got word of that, it's like, oh, hold on. There is a way for us to deal with the problem here. Let's deal with it the way that God told us to. And then notice David's response. Remember, he is the covenant mediator operating on behalf of God before his people. Notice what David begins to do. After these burnt offerings and peace offerings in verse 18, he says that David blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts. 
God's authorized intention is for blessing to be spoken over and given to his people. And David communicates God's intention of blessing to the worshipers that he's redeemed and saved. And in fact, in this passage, they get to experience the blessing of God. The peace offerings that are offered in sacrifice. Uh, Remember, we talked about this when we went through the book of Leviticus. The peace offering was the one type of offering that the people of Israel who brought the offering were able to eat. They didn't just eat it by themselves. They ate in the presence of their God. God wanted his people to know, you now have peace with me. Our fellowship has been reconciled and restored. I want you to experience the benefits that this animal has secured on your behalf. And I want you now to enter into my presence and sit and eat and feast from my table. As I provide to you from my animals for you to be nourished and blessed. And the people celebrate as David distributes bread and meat to his people from these sacrifices. Does it sound familiar? That week in and week out, we get to experience a peace offering ourselves, but one that was sacrificed once, the Lamb of God, who shed blood for the sins of His people. And what does God do week in and week out? He says, come, my people. Come into my presence. Acknowledging and understanding my provision that it was my blood that was shed for you and my body that was given for you. And I want you to come and enjoy fellowship with me as you feast upon me, the perfect lamb who is given as the provision for your sin. Do we not have something to be thankful for? That is why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is not a funeral. This is something that's worthy of rejoicing and celebrating because our God is saying, you are my people, come and fellowship with me. We enter into God's presence and worship him as true worshipers on his terms, aware of our sin, thankful for his provision, and lastly, seeking his glory. The last part of this chapter in verses 16 through 23 you notice how Michael responded? Look in verse 16. As the ark of Yahweh came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before Yahweh, and she despised him in her heart. She's looking at the worship that David and the people are offering, and she does not like it. Why? Why is it that she despises David? Why is it that she is so upset with what is going on? Notice what she says to him when he comes in. One, notice in 20, David comes to bless her. She refuses it. She returns his intentions for blessing her in the name of Yahweh in verse 20 with this word of ridicule and rebuke. How the king of Israel honored himself today Whose honor is she focused on? David's honor. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David had taken off his royal garments. David had taken off the, the, the evidence that he was king and he was dressed like the rest of the people in these ephods to worship God equally. 
And Michael looks down on it and says, Don't you know you're the king? Why would you dishonor yourself in this way? Notice where David points her. It's not about me. You notice what he says over and over in verse 21? It was before Yahweh. Remember who this Yahweh is, the one who rejected your father because he dishonored the Lord and sought his own glory. He put me in his place, but it is before Yahweh that I am worshiping. And I will celebrate before Yahweh. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. David says, look, it's not about me. When I enter into the presence of God, it is not about my glory. It is about His glory. And if I must be dishonored in, for, in order for Him to be lifted up, then so be it. I will continue to do it, and I will dishonor myself even more. Or in the words of John the Baptist, I must come, become less and less so that He might become more and more. That is our focus. And notice... The intentions of Michael are judged by the Lord too. For it says she did not have any children. The focus of our worship must be those who look and are focused on glory and honor going to our God and Him alone. How is that possible? For those of us who are obsessed like Michael, with our own honor, with our own glory, with our own benefit. Do I get anything out of this this morning? Then why should I go? They didn't sing the songs I like. They're not in the book that I like. They don't offer enough programs. Hold on, is it about us? Or is it about our God? As we enter into His presence. We are entering into His presence. The one who is enthroned on the cherubim. May we give Him glory in our worship. We have been freed up from the enslavement of seeking our own glory to give glory and honor to another. Let's live that freedom out. Because that's why we are created, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the purpose of humanity. And when we do that, we are experiencing humanity in its fullness and its truest. True worshipers, created by our God through the work of His Spirit, to worship Him according to how He has revealed to us in His Word. How are we going to be true worshipers? We're going to be those who worship Him according to His terms. We're going to be those who worship Him aware of our sin. We're going to be those who worship Him, thankful for His provision, and we are going to be those who through the work of the Spirit, transforming our hearts and our lives through the work of Christ, those who worship Him, focused on His glory alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel, that we have the privilege and the honor to enter into Your presence as your redeemed and saved people. May that truth never cease to wonder, give us, bring us wonder and awe. May we rejoice and celebrate you as our great God and King, our Creator, 
May we worship you according to the scriptures that you've been so gracious to provide for us. May all honor go to Christ, our risen and exalted King. Amen.